The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. It's time to get fired up. Fired Up is a show that delivers both business impact and social importance. Get ready to explore the connection between communications and human motivation. Our guests will share ideas on how to create higher returns on your communication investments by engaging the people who matter most. Our host, Gordon Rudo, CEO of Bonfire Communications, has bridged the communications gap from startups and nonprofits to the Fortune 500, from political leaders to celebrity CEOs. Get ready to be fired up with your master communicator, Gordon Rudo. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Fired Up at Webmaster Radio. This is Gordon Ritter, your host once again, and I hope you folks had a, a good week, and I hope you listened to our show last week. We had Gary Ridge from WD40, the CEO of that organization, and I do want to take one piece of that discussion forward today. We're going to talk about organizations today in a variety of different ways, but there's a piece that he discussed last week that I think would be meaningful to today's discussion. For those of you who didn't listen, one of the things that Gary talked about, uh, what he did at WD-40, is look at his organization and, and create this, this language, this framework for how to think about his company as a tribal culture. And one of the things that he described as, as central to the tribal theory is this idea that elders teach and that the teaching and learning culture that is central in tribe is how he wanted to run his business. And there's a variety of other things that he discussed, this notion that tribes create meaningful experiences for the tribe members, that this is about tradition, it's about ceremony, it's about creating environments that are rich with rituals and initiations and story. Um, and I, I know we talked about this with Jonathan Willard in a previous episode as well, this notion that we want to, as human beings, be part of something greater than ourselves. And that in modern society, one of the ways that we get that, whether it's church for some folks or sports for other folks, for a variety of people, for a, a large portion of this country and, and modern civilization in general, it's from being a part of organizations. And as Emil Durkheim described, this construct of religious experience, something that we innately want to be a part of that is something greater. Now, there's challenges with that. And we're going to talk about some of those challenges today. And for many of us who live in organizations, um, some people feel drained at the end of a the day. They don't feel connected to what the organization is doing. They feel disappointed that they can't bring all of themselves, that they can't come to work as integrated human beings, that they don't get engaged in their whole self sort of a fashion. So this is what we've been talking about on Fired Up for the last 20 episodes or so. How do we create the conditions in organizations that not only does the business meet its potential, but the human beings that are part of it reach their potential? And to do that, to understand how do you create those conditions, you really do need to understand how organizations tick. How are they structured? How are they built? And we've talked about them over many, many years as, as mechanistic structures or as command and control or militaristic structures, or as Gary described, as tribal cultures. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today 
is looking at organizations as living systems. And Art Kleiner, our guest, talks about this in his book, which we're going to spend a lot of time on, uh, organizations as potentially as sentient beings themselves. Um, and what does it mean to look at organizations as living systems? And I want to set up this for, uh, for Art as we got, dive into this conversation. What he describes as core group theory is a real challenge in creating these conditions. And core group theory, I've been so excited about talking about, and, and if you've been listening all season, you know I've teed this up on a variety of episodes, how to think about organizations in terms of living systems, but also because our organizations are so much guided by a handful of individuals that a lot of our attention and energy gets focused on how to serve them. And, and this is a central concept here. And he talks about this concept eloquently in the first chapter. And I recommend that folks read this book. It, it's, I think, groundbreaking stuff. And really important work for us to understand. And the notion is basically outlined saying your company, your organization may have promises. And a promise might sound like, you know, putting customers first or that stakeholders, you know, that we're here to serve our stakeholders or that employees are our number one asset. And most of these statements, these promises are lies. That's just not how decisions are made on a day-to-day basis. And Art describes that there are hundreds and th- hundreds of thousands of decisions made every single day inside of an organization. And their decisions are often not about that customer being first or not about serving your broader stakeholders, but in serving this core group of people. And you know this because you hear it every day in the hallways or in your meetings, and you're in a, discru- in a discussion making one decision or another, and you're saying, well, Michelle would really like it if we did this. Or you know how Bob has been focused on a project like this. He's so jazzed about this. We've got to do this for Bob. And it becomes about serving these individuals. And it's, it's fascinating stuff. So I want to welcome Art Kleiner. We're going to talk about this and just a brief about Art. Art is the editor of a fantastic publication, one of the best publications in terms of cutting-edge knowledge and management theory and leadership, the Strategy and Business Magazine. Um, but he's also been a, an editor of one of the best books, I think, in business around the fifth discipline, the fifth discipline field book. Uh, he wrote a book called The Age of Heretics, and this book, Who Really Matters, Core Group Theory of Power, Privilege, and Success. Um, so welcome, Art. How are you doing today? Thanks so much, Gordon. I'm doing great. What a, what a great introduction. Thank you. Well, sorry it took and, me so long to get to it, but there's a lot of different pieces. Any comments on, on what you heard in well, being up core group? Yeah, the, the whole core group thing started for me when I had friends and acquaintances who gave their all to companies or organizations and then suddenly discovered that they were being cut loose or cut off or they weren't getting the reward and recognition that they you know, thought they deserved and that by any objective standard they would deserve. And or there were projects that were really right for the organization and for its shareholders and its customers and its employees and yet those projects didn't go through. And you know, I I'd been working with Peter Senge and a number of people and I, I don't really think of organizations as places which are driven by authority from the top. <clears throat> in the way that, you know, we typically think of it, you know, where the the boss says, do this, and everybody does it. Obviously, most of the time, people interpret things differently than than what a particular boss says. So what was driving it? Why were companies making decisions that they, you know, were typically making? And I had a number of, I'd been, you know, covering management for 
probably 20 years at that point as a freelancer. I had thousand, you know, more than a thousand in-depth interviews with people about why they did things, and I went back through. And I had a lot of working hypotheses, but in the end, the hypothesis that most held water was that, you know, lots and lots of decisions matter. All, you know, an organization sort of goes in the direction that most of the decisions made within it, you know, sort of take it. And people make those decisions basically because life is so short, we don't have time to think everything through. So we look for symbolic ways to make the task easier, and the easiest symbolic way is to look for the people who we think are important and basically say, you know, just as you put it, you know, what would Joe think of this? Um, How does this fit with Sally's plan? Or I don't want to be the one to walk into Frank's office and tell him it's not going to happen. And uh, as people make decisions based on that, this group, the Joes, Franks, and Sallies, it may change from day to day who's in that group, but the nature of that group kind of takes on a life of its own, and it becomes the lodestar that people orient around. And once you understand that that's going on, then the way you operate in an organization can change. You don't, you know, you understand that merit still exists, and, you know, the workflow still has to take place, and there are still hierarchies and budgets, but this other thing is going on at the same time, and it, in fact, is quietly influential. So I want to talk about, after this break, how do we actually do something different? And I know this is a real struggle, so once we know this and it becomes part of our consciousness, how do we actually move the organization to think differently? And, and I want to talk about hive mind and all of that. So we're going to take a short break and come back with Art Kleiner. Stay with us. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay tuned. Fired up on webmasterradio.fm. We'll return after this short break. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. Are you happy with your landing page performance? Discover how to improve your landing page performance with ConversionCritic.com. Brought to you by Engine Ready. Turn your underperforming landing pages into cost-effective sales-producing machines. Be sure you're not wasting your precious PPC budget. Conversion Critic tools give you the ingredients to create high converting landing pages. You don't have to be an expert to use Engine Ready's Conversion Critic tools, but you'll feel like a landing page pro. Take the guesswork out of increasing your conversion rate. Visit conversioncritic.com and boost your conversion rate for free. That's www.conversioncritic.com. So you're telling me your affiliate program on the local Pages Affiliate Network is performing as well as your handicap? Absolutely. Thanks to their top-tier XML feed, I'm able to monetize all of my traffic. They handle all of my volume to anywhere in the world. Plus, I also get high cost per click and the most exclusive of advertisers to work with. You should join the club. Sounds good. I can't wait to join. But first, let's work on that tee shot. Use the power of local pages with over 5 billion searches per month and the largest database of paid search listings. Let Local Pages Affiliate Network personalize your account and give you the search tools and solutions you need. Become a Local Pages Affiliate today with localpages.com. 
please hold while we connect you to one of the most sought-after experts in SEO, analytics, and web development. Office Hours with Vanessa Fox, Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Search Engine Optimization Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. You're getting fired up, only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we're back with Art Kleiner, and we're talking about core group theory, and I just want to go right to you know, the main point here, or at least the, the deeper dive and root cause. So what is it that makes this so? What is it emotionally, psychologically, spiritually? Why do we need this? <laughs> well, you're asking why is human nature what it is. First of all, um, if it, as we're finding out from neuroscience, and I'm influenced by Matthew Lieberman and uh, a writer named David Rock, who's got a book coming out called Your Brain at Work, and a number of other people in neuroscience, uh, Jeffrey Schwartz. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that's, that's becoming clear is just the extent to which the human brain is triggered by social cues and by you know the people around us and how much that affects you know not just the way we think but the decisions we make and you know Maslow had part of it right when he said that you know we are we you know we have this need for belonging but i think it it goes deeper than that i think many of our impulses are in fact triggered by what we perceive around us in um in social situations and that increasingly means in the work situations and a lot of what we think you know we human beings think we ought to do is whether it's instinctual or learned is very primally based on what will work for the social group, the milieu in which we find itself. That's just culture. The reason for that, I think, and you know, I don't know how much this would stand up in neuroscience, but the reason for that is probably at least in part because it takes so much effort and time and thought to consciously think things through. You know, so a lot of human activity is based on not so much learning new things as, as getting used to the way things kind of operate smoothly so you can make them second nature and not pay attention to them, like driving. And, uh, of course, we get in trouble when we're driving and we actually think we don't have to pay attention when we do. And the same is true in organizations and any social situation. You know, you can kind of coast along on little effort, little energy, and it feels troubling. It literally feels like physical pain sometimes to have to put attention on something where we thought we didn't have to. And a lot of organizational life is like that. You know, people basically get used to not having to think about projects in a certain way, and the easiest way not to have to think about them is to say, what would Frank think of this? Or, you know... I don't want to walk into Joe's office. You don't actually have to think about the merits. All you have to think about is, would Joe like this or not? Now, I'm not saying people make decisions that way all the time. They don't have to. Enough people, enough of the time, are making enough decisions on that basis that it will tend to trump any other set of decisions unless something is made with a concerted effort. Unless, you know, somebody sits down and says, no, actually this time we have to think about this. Either because there's a crisis and, you know, we're in trouble. Or if they're really good, because people say, well, you know, we actually have an aspiration to do better than we have been doing. And that means we really have to pay attention in a new way. Well, let's round it out even more if we can and talk about this love that happens. Because I think we do... 
um, often and outside of organizations as well, become enamored with folks with, with power and influence. And you described certain individuals in this core group. They, they might have gotten charisma or, an, or intelligence, but we seem to fall in love with these folks. And you have a whole chapter around this love story. So <laughs> it, it, talk about well, that some more. Well, I think of it as people with symbolic importance. People who, for whatever reason, take on a life larger than their own life in your mind. Maybe it's because they're the boss. Maybe it's because they're somebody that we know is influential on the boss. So, for instance, at Microsoft, Warren Buffett was probably in the core group. There are a lot of people who wanted to know, you know, who's who's talking to Bill Gates or Bill G or whoever. Um, it, there are people in organizations who may not be that high in the hierarchy, but for one reason or another, they have symbolic importance. The head of the labor union, you know, in a lot of companies, the labor union has collective bargained itself into the core group. You can't do something if you think the labor union is going to be against it, whereas the managers who oversee the labor union members are not in the core group, which is one reason why they resent, you know, the labor movement so so viscerally and uh, disproportionately. There are... People like, uh, I, I had an acquaintance um, who worked at a major oil company. He didn't have any staff, but this individual was known for her conscience, essentially, and for, you know, she just would not um, tolerate. It wasn't that she wouldn't, wouldn't tolerate, but she would let you know in very precise and coherent ways why a particular course of action was unethical or, or problematic. And so people got used to thinking of this individual as as someone that was in the core group, I don't want to be the one to walk into her office and have an idea and have it shot down, because then I know, you know, it really won't fly around here. Right. And all of that is very similar to what we do in families. You know, I don't want to be the one to tell Aunt Ethel that I'm planning on eloping, or I don't want to be the one to, you know, walk into Grandpa's office or Grandpa's house and uh, have everybody look at me like I'm like something's wrong with me. So we learn symbolic decision-making as young people. I think we do. You know, I think if we don't learn it as young, I mean, and, and a lot of people rebel against it. I mean, it's one reason why people, you know, leave their families and leave their communities because they recognize that, you know, some aspects of the symbolic decision-making is, is not healthy. But then they just go ahead and carry the symbolic decision-making with them elsewhere because the alternative is thinking about every decision freshly every moment. And uh, it takes a rare kind of brain to be able to do that, or else perhaps a rare kind of practice. So before we talk about how to get out of the drama, let's talk about how to identify it. So I think we're painting a picture for people, and, and many listeners right now are, are saying to themselves, oh, it's Frank, he's in their hardcore group, or, you know, it's maybe it's Mary in, uh, in R&D, and I never really thought about her being in the core group. So I think that's good. Start thinking about this as listeners and identifying who might be part of the core group. But you have, uh, at the end, I think, of, of Chapter 2 or 3, um, your first kind of diagnostic challenge. So can right. you ask you know, some of these questions and, and just make this clear for folks. What, what are the seven or eight questions that they can ask themselves to start identifying and mapping out, as you did? You, you drew kind of these organizational structure diagrams, and you looked at, you know, where might these folks live? Well, so part of it is, you know, are you asking this because you're in the core group or because you want to understand 
who who's who's there and it's very important to get a sense of why you're you're engaged in this in the first place typically the answer is going to be at least in part because i want this organization to do better than it, it does already but it, it makes a difference where you sit if you're in the core group then you'll probably know it because things happen for you that are in your interest without you asking. You'll have the feeling that people are doing things for you or with you in mind that um, you, you're, you're just in other people's awareness. So you'll get, you, know, you might not get gifts, but you might, you know, if you may be, you may have a small child and suddenly the organization creates a, um, a daycare center. Or you may, you know, sort of have said, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to see us do more with Brazil. And then three months later, four projects related to Brazil, you know, sort of cross your desk. You, there's a whole bunch of, of uh, or a whole sense of, you know, the organization is really thinking of me in ways I didn't even think of me. And uh, if you feel, uh, I talked about it as love in the book, in, in the same, or maybe infatuation is another way. It's, it's a little bit like Puff the Magic Dragon, you know, this giant invisible creature that is continually thinking of you and bringing you shoes and ships and, <laughs> and uh, other paper things and, you know, basic, or basically trying to, to take your needs, your priorities into account, whether it understands them or not. If you're not in the core group, then first of all, you know, be aware that the core group may or may not change over time. You know, some big organizations have perhaps hundreds of interlocking core groups based on how people are thinking of of um, the people that are important to them. And in some organizations, you know, at A and P, um, Huntington Hartford was probably in the core group for 20 years after he died. Whereas in other organizations, somebody might be in the core group on Monday and not in the core group on Tuesday because the um, the attitudes within shift so dramatically. Um, and so there, the question is: Who's when I make a decision, whose interests and priorities do I feel must be attended to, and why? And the other sort of diagnostics, and there's lots of them in the book that I, um, you know, probably shouldn't go into, but the, the other diagnostics all relate to that. You know, um, there are, for example, some core group members may be gatekeepers of a particular function. They may, you know, if you want anything in manufacturing, you have to know what Fred thinks. And, you know, any, and any decision about whether a project is viable or not, Fred's going to have an opinion, and that opinion is going to get listened to. Who, who has the power to stop a project? Who has the power to green light a project? Who operates as the um, as the voice of a particular constituency? And basically, who do we pay attention to? And whether it's a leader or any kind of decision maker or employee, the critical thing to watch about anybody is not so much what they say and not even what they do, but what they pay attention to. So, where are people paying attention? And that well, becomes this the is first critically important. Well, I think this is critically important. I mean, if you want to get stuff done in organizations, and I like the frame that you said earlier that that we're talking about this because we want our organizations to do or be even better than they are today. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, a good way to enter this conversation. And that is our hope. That is our objective: is is to understand who the core group is, so that we can get 
really meaningful work done that we can take care of our employees, that we can serve our customers. But, um, for example, we did an audience uh, segmentation exercise for a large financial institution. And the way of understanding and rolling out these big IT initiatives, understanding who the different audiences were, this notion of are you in the network or are you not in the network? Mm -hmm. Kind of are you in the know? Do you know the people who are in the core group or are you connected to them? (laughs) Or do you understand how they think? in a way that you can get things done or not. And this was a way of kind of dividing up the shop. Um, and I was really struck by this in your book, this notion that, you know, if this is the core group, do they even understand the constituents of the organization? So if we're trying to create organizations that are even better than they are, how can core group theory, as we move towards um, this close, uh, a minute or two here, and then we'll take it on after break. How can core group theory help us in, in making different decisions? Well, before the break, let's talk about if you're a core group member. There, do you understand how people interpret what you want and what you say? Are you conscious of how you and the other core group members connect? Is there a feud within the core group? If there is, that's going to be a little bit like having parents getting divorced in a family. It's going to affect everybody and probably uh, not uh, in the interest of coherence. Are you, you know, are there disabled people in the sense of people whose messages are not clear or not getting through or, or actually counter to the professed direction of the organization? Are you know, and uh, most of all, are you? You know, when you say something or do something, are you conscious that it's a kind of theater that other people are going to be following along? You know, many core group members, you know, are kind of keenly aware of this. What they may not realize is that their ideas and actions are amplified to the extent that they're perhaps more responsible on a day-to-day basis for their behavior than they ever assumed they would be. And if you're not in the core group, then you have a whole different set of issues. Well, let's take that one on right after this break. We're going to take two minutes and come back and and close it up with Art Kleiner and and talk about this issue of if you're not in a core group, how do you you understand these dynamics and make better decisions and help our organizations become even better? And then I'm going to take all of his years of work and thousands of interviews and his work in strategy and business and ask for some takeaways for you folks at home. Uh, So stay with us. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. Your company's website sucks. You know it. Everybody knows it. So get a to-do list to fix it. On Target, a subscription service from Future Now and Brian Eisenberg monitors your website 24-7, analyzing the actions of every potential customer. It gives you a to-do list. It tells you exactly what to fix and how to fix it. So that more of your visitors do what you need them to do. On Target pricing starts at $1,000 a month. See more at futurenowinc.com slash on target. Here's your bill. Thank you so much, guys. Hey, it's all right. I'll take care of the tab, Jason. Well, thanks, Dave. How are you doing so well these days? It seems everyone's in a pinch for cash. RevenueWire.com, that's how. RevenueWire? Yeah, RevenueWire.com is an all-in-one platform offering affiliates high-demand software from top-notch PC utility merchants. With 75% commissions, twice-monthly payouts, incredibly accurate analytics tools, RevenueWire is making me more money today than I did in the last few years put together. Even in this economy? Especially in this economy. RevenueWire has a ton of great products to meet the demand. I'm telling you, 
This network is recession-proof. RevenueWire, the recession-proof network platform. For more information, visit RevenueWire.com today. That's RevenueWire.com. Hey, affiliates, do you find it a challenge monetizing traffic from the UK, France, or India? You need offers that will appeal to all of your visitors, no matter where they come from. AdsMarket.com has met this challenge and has turned it into a science. AdsMarket.com gets results for publishers and advertisers with a winning formula. The combination of offers, worldwide traffic, and AdsMarket's up-close and personal media management is exactly the boost needed to monetize international audiences. AdsMarket.com, the science of performance. Ready to learn to be a mass marketing mastermind? Take some notes from the godfathers of mass distribution. Inbox, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. You're getting fired up, only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. All right, we're back with Art Kleiner, and we have the last five or seven minutes of this show, and we're talking about... You know, if you're not in this core group, how do you take the understanding of core group theory and how do you map out who these individuals are and how they think and ask some of these diagnostic questions so they can be more effective as an employer, as a tribe member, uh, and make better decisions or, or make the good things happen for people in the organization. So if you're not in the core group, where do you start? Well, you first start by being aware that you are a transactional employee. And what I mean by that is actually kind of bad news to those of us who really like to give ourselves to everything in a wholehearted way. It means that we are vulnerable. We are here in an organization, and we want to give everything to it, and the organization is almost by definition not going to give us the rewards and recognition that we believe we deserve now, if you're not giving everything to an organization, then that's fine. If you, but if, if you are, then you have to kind of step back and say, what, do, what, am, what am I consciously prepared to give, and what do I consciously want to get in return? And be as aware of that as possible, because every step of what you ask for and what you get and what you do should be part of a kind of conscious give and take and exchange. Now, you can be absolute friends with the organization, and, and should be. You can admire the organization. The organization can admire you. But you're not an owner. You're not invested in it. It's not invested. You know, it's like um, the popular book, you know, it's just not that into you. <laughs> and, uh, you, have to, uh, you have to proceed on, under that, with that understanding. Now, having said that, you can have an extremely worthwhile and... Um, and, and, and noble life in the organization and perhaps probably a much happier and, and more secure one than you would if you, if you lost sight of that, of that transactional, that transactional nature. And what that, what that means, that also means you can be influential. In fact, you can be very influential, but you have to recognize that you are now influential as an interventionist. In other words, you may see places where the organization could really gain in reaching its unfulfilled potential. And you might see how to make that happen. But you cannot, you know, but there are two things that you cannot do. The first is see it and change it automatically because you don't have the power and, more importantly, you don't have the influence. 
And secondly, you can't see it, not do anything about it, and then basically complain about it. Because if you do that, you are setting yourself up against the kind of sentient whole of the organization in a way that probably would rebound um, problematically for you, and and the organization would would not improve. <clears throat> so you have to think of yourself as a uh, almost like a physician, doing no harm, but applying those kinds of moves that will make things better. And the first rule of thumb is don't do this alone. If you and, and well, actually the first. The first rule is why is to ask the question why are you want why do you want to do this <clears throat> what improvements do you want to make and both what is in for the organization and what is in it for you by making that improvement whether it's you know I want the organization to be better at green practice or I just wish we were more optimistic about the way we're making money or I'd really like to see us move into India or I'd really like to see us you know hire more people or whatever it might be why do you want to see this move made what is what is the end result you really want. And if you had that, what would that get you? And once you're clear about that, who else out there in the organization is most likely interested in the same results? You should start talking with them because you cannot influence an organization acting as an individual. You need the perspective of other people. You need the, um, you know, you need the fact of the alliance and all of your connections together. And basically, you need, uh, in order to act and organizationally, just by its nature, you need more than one or two in- people involved. <clears throat> From there, the next question is, what kind of move do you make? Um, <clears throat> is this a move that involves the core group? In other words, are you going to be proposing something that you're going to need an ally from within the core group on? Or is this the kind of move where you're going to basically be doing an experiment and seeing what happens and then making a case? Um, good advice along these realms that I almost never take myself is uh, to pick, you know, the two or three things you care the most about and focus on those and assume that that's what you have the capacity for as opposed to trying to change everything. More than likely, if you're in this position, you are responsible for some sub-part of the organization. You might have a uh, staff position. You may have a line position. You know, whatever you're overseeing is seen as important but not crucial. And your job is to say, what is it that, that uh, you know, I could do with, with the part that I see that would be bringing us closer to the unfulfilled potential, to the so far unrealized uh, ideal that would that would help us thrive obviously there's a lot more and you know but that's the starting point is um that kind of realism perhaps there seems to be uh, a lot of work required on our egos on our <laughs> sense of, of who we are what we're capable of and we talked about how to have you know these passionate connected environments and i think there is a real balance of being passionate and disattached, um, having some level of excitement and not be so attached to the outcome, um, but to bring in the other forces. It's it's fascinating because this has been thematic throughout other episodes as well, just uh, uh, self-awareness as a practice to be so central to organizational health, whether you're a leader 
or whether you're an employee or in your world uh, in or out of the core group. And I'd love to talk more about this. We're actually out of time, but I need to have one more answer from you because you've had such rich experiences and, and have so much that you could share with us. And as Editor-in-Chief of Strategy and Business, I, I have to imagine you have access to some of the most interesting and newest thinking um, in business. So can you just close with what are you excited about right now? What's the hot thing? Or, or how do you take all of what you've learned and give our listeners a couple <laughs> big takeaways? Of, well, you know, so wrap up your whole life in uh, you got one minute. Go for well, it. Well, I've got one minute. I, um, I've mentioned neuroscience and there's a lot going on in, in management in general. Let me just close with a quote from Barbara Waugh, who is an author, um, was formerly at Hewlett-Packard, it wrote a book called The Soul and the Computer, and she talks about um, remembering who you're really working for. And it almost sounds too glib, but she said, and, and I really believe, on one level you're kind of working for your boss and your job. and on another level you're working for you know the salary you make that you can take home. And then on a third level, there's always somebody else behind your job that is sort of like the purpose of your job, without which your job wouldn't exist. In strategy and business, we often think about, you know, leaders need to know what they're getting into as they navigate these difficult waters of the 21st century. And if we can do just a little bit to make that clearer, we've kind of justified our existence. I could get even loftier about what, we, what we're doing. The point is not to be lofty, but to recognize that Without that underlying um, deeper purpose, it's a little bit hard to keep the day-to-day going. Good stuff. I- I'm learning a lot from you in just our, our little conversation, so I-, I greatly appreciate your time. I hope our listeners um, have gotten a lot out of today, and we'll, we'll follow up and check out Age of Heretics or Who Really Matters. Um, you can check out strategyandbusiness.com. It's strategy-business.com. Hyphen business. Um, so check that out and um, stay or in touch. Or artkleiner.com, actually, for my own. Great. Artkleiner.com, and that is a hub to a lot of these other places as well? As much as I can keep it updated, <laughs> Well, thanks again, Art, for your time. This has been a fascinating conversation once again. Um, I think we should uh, let you folks know out there that uh, Michael Gelb is going to be, I believe, next week. Uh, the Art of Juggling, the How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci, his new book about Edison as well. Also check us out at twitter.com forward slash Radio, and we'll check you out. Thanks again, Webmaster Radio, and we'll see you next week. 